Luke 4, 38 through 44. Jesus heals many. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up once and began she got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea, and that is the word of God. Thank you, Hannah. That's my lovely wife there who did the announcements. Um, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? All right. Some are doing mediocre. I heard that. Some are like, hey. And some are like, hey. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be with you guys. Um, if you ever um, just held on to something in your life, whether it's a possession, something you own, something that you like, and you just, if you're really honest, you just held on to it too long, like past the point where you should have just let it go uh, all the time. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it's like a favorite shirt that you have that is your favorite shirt, but it hasn't fit in like eight years, or, um... <laughs> ouch, that hits close to home already. Right. Okay, we've got favorite socks over here on the front row. Um, maybe it's your seventh grade like pottery class uh, thing that you say that no one else would identify as pottery except for you, because um, you were told that's what it was. Um, so I had one of those when I was a kid. I, I was given um, uh, one Christmas, I don't know, I was probably eight or ten or something, and I was given one of those giant candy canes, like the, the ones that's so big, it's like that big around and maybe a foot and a half or two feet long. So like so big that it, they didn't curl it. It's just a big hunk of peppermint sugar. And I think those are just supposed to kind of be like a gag gift, like that's fun or whatever. But I loved candy as a, a young child and I went crazy over candy. So I actually tried to eat that thing. And um, I, I remember I had it open and, you know, I was, you can't even like fit your mouth around that candy cane. But I'm trying somehow to, to eat this candy cane, and, you know, a month goes by, another month goes by, it's just open sitting on my desk in my room, you know, another month goes by, and I don't know how many seasons went by, but it's not like winter anymore, it's, you know, probably some, I don't know, but someone just needed to tell me, no, Kenny, let it go, man, let it go, you're holding on too tight. And I know that's weird to kind of start out with that. I don't, I don't know if that's a weird image of me as a 10-year-old with a two-foot candy cane um, that I really only got like a couple inches into on one corner. That's, a, that's as far as I got. 
But um, the reason I'm starting with that is we see a little bit of that in a weird way with an attitude, with something that's described in that passage that Hannah read for us. In this passage, Jesus knows he's been ministering in a town called Capernaum. He knows it's time to move on to the next town. He knows he's got a mission and he's got to go, but the crowd really wants him to stay. I don't know if you picked up on that in the passage. They really want him to stay, but Jesus doesn't go along with him. He actually says no. He refuses. And there are times in our life when we need to hear Jesus say no. And actually know that it's good news when Jesus says no. Y'all with me? All right. So as we talk about that time, when the times in our lives when we need to hear Jesus say no, I want to look at the background of the passage and then look at some times when we need to hear Jesus say no and then talk about why that's still good news. All right, so we're good? We're going? All right, let's do it. So Luke chapter 4, we've been going through the gospel of Luke. Um, the, the chapter kind of begins with Jesus giving his Nazareth sermon. He's giving a message in his hometown of Nazareth. And uh, Dale preached, uh, did a wonderful job on that a couple weeks ago. And Jesus gets up in the middle of a synagogue and he reads from Isaiah the prophet. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and says, that scripture is fulfilled now, right? And you would think that would be like a revival sermon. Like, don't those sound like great things? Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor, come on. Jesus is preaching favor, right? Freedom for the prisoners. And then, but what happens? The crowd rejects him. And they don't just say, well, that was a bad sermon. No, they kick him out of the synagogue, push him to the edge of town, and then are ready to kill him. He's rejected in his hometown. So then as you go through the chapter, he leaves and he goes to Capernaum, a different town in the region, and he goes to their synagogue, or you know, basically church, right? But there weren't churches yet. It's Jewish synagogue. He goes to their synagogue, and he casts out demons like Vince talked about last week. And if that weirds you out, if you're interested in that, I urge you to go back and listen to Vince's message last week. He did a great job talking about the demonic and spiritual warfare and uh, how we face it, although we're not always aware of it. It was really good. But Jesus shows he has power and authority over the demons, and he's here in Capernaum, and people are amazed at his power and authority. But then in this scene that we read today, he leaves the synagogue and goes into someone's home. He leaves the church and goes into someone's home. And it's, what's interesting to me is that for Jesus, ministry was not just what he did in the public sphere. It was also in private life. It was not just what he did in religious services, but in everyday life. That's ministry. And so he goes to Simon's house, and Simon's mother-in-law is sick, and they're talking with him about her. And then it says that he rebukes the fever, and it left her immediately. And she got up and began to wait on her guests and serve them. And this is, believe it or not, the first miracle, uh, healing miracle that we have of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. But then the word gets out, because so far in Capernaum, on one Sabbath day, he's been casting out demons, and then he goes to someone's house, and he heals her of a fever that she was suffering from, and then at sunset, people start bringing 
not to the synagogue, but to the home where he's staying, someone else's home, they just start bringing people. All kinds of people who have diseases, sicknesses, anyone who needs healing. The people of Capernaum, the crowd has found out Jesus can heal. We need to bring other, let's bring, this guy can heal. Let's bring our friends and neighbors. They need to experience that. And I just imagine Jesus after a long day of ministry, he's probably tired. The sun has gone down and then all the people show up. <laughs> Uninvited. Hey, Jesus, can you? And, and, and it seems as though it could be overwhelming, but when you read the passage, it says that he took time with each one. He laid hands on each of them and was healing them. And we don't know how long that goes, and we don't know how much sleep he gets, but the next day, Jesus goes out to a lonely place. He goes out to a solitary place. We do know that it seems like he needed some alone time. He needed some time to recharge, and he needed to be alone with God. Presumably prayer. That happens a lot in Luke. He goes alone and prays. But while Jesus is trying to get alone time, there's still people with needs, and there's still people wondering, where is Jesus? And so they start looking for him. Anyone ever experienced that when you just need some alone time? And uh, people in your life either don't know that or don't recognize that, and uh, you get you know, knocked on the door or interrupted or whatever, and I was just trying to recharge just a little bit. Uh, no? No one else? Okay. Well, uh, all, right, all right, good. Jesus is alone, but they're too excited. The crowds of Capernaum are too excited. They're looking for him. We've got to find him. And then they find him, and it says something really interesting that if you're just kind of reading through at a normal pace, you might miss it, but it actually says that they tried to prevent him from leaving them. They tried to prevent him from leaving them. In verse 42. Stay with us. Jesus, stay with us. I know it didn't go that well in Nazareth, but we love what you're doing here. This is great. We appreciate it. We love the people you're healing. This is great for our town. We love your ministry. Won't you just stay with us? Don't go, Jesus. No, seriously, don't go. <laughs> they tried to prevent him from leaving them. And put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute. Instead of rejection in his own hometown, he gets the approval of the people in this town. Instead of anger at his message and what he came to say, he gets popular. And people say, oh, we love you here. Stay. No, don't go to the other town. Instead of pushing him away, these people are pulling him close and maybe a little bit too close. And what does Jesus do? I'm sure he might have been tempted with the idea of not just being ran out of town for his message and, and people trying to kill him. <laughs> it might have been tempted just to stay where he was liked and loved and appreciated and popular. But he said what? Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. They're begging him to stay, but he refuses. Why? Because Jesus knew he had a mission that was bigger than one town. He knew who sent him. He says that he was sent. He knew that God sent him, and he knew why he was sent. I've got to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the first time that phrase shows up in this book, and it will happen again 30 times. 
the important theme about the idea that Jesus came to announce God is king, not fill in the blank, whoever else claims to be. God is king. I've got to proclaim that. So Jesus knows why he was sent. And there may be good things that come to him. There may be good things that come to us that aren't God things. How many know sometimes the good things get in the way of what's best and what God's calling you to? And Jesus, knowing his why, gave him his why not. Because I know why I was sent, here's why I can't just stay here where it's easy and popular and build a nice mega synagogue and let the people come to me. Jesus will not allow his ministry to become a variety show that just plays to the audience. He's here on a mission. And there's a lesson for us today in this passage. If you back up for a moment, Jesus of Nazareth is the most unique and interesting person who has ever lived on planet Earth. And every single person, including you and me, has to make up our mind about how we're going to respond to Jesus and what he claimed, who he said he was. Was he a prophet? Was he just a prophet? Was he just a good teacher? Or is he the son of God and a savior, the savior? And this chapter shows us two incorrect ways of responding to Jesus. All of us have to respond. One of them is to reject him outright, but the other one is to keep him to yourself and limit him to your agenda or try to limit him to your agenda. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is on a mission. In Nazareth, they couldn't handle his message and they wanted to get rid of him. But in Capernaum, they appreciated him so much and what he did so much that they tried to get him to stay and to play by their agenda and by what they thought he should do instead of by what God's mission was. Maybe you're here today and you haven't rejected Jesus, but have you gotten too comfortable with him? Maybe you haven't pushed him away, but have you kept him to yourself and tried to tie him down and limit Jesus to your agenda for your life instead of his mission? Y'all still with me? As people who claim Jesus, listen, as the church, as people who claim Jesus, I think we're more at risk of being like the crowds at Capernaum than Nazareth. We've already decided we're not rejecting Jesus outright and pushing him away. But I think What we might be more at risk of is we love Jesus, but we want to tie him to our agenda instead of find ourselves in his mission. Does that make sense? Like me holding on to the candy cane too long and too tight. (laughs) We need someone to say, let go. There's more. Sometimes we need to hear Jesus Say no, and then remember why when Jesus says no to us, it's good news. Let me explain what I mean by that. We need to hear Jesus say no when. Dot, dot, dot. And I was, this might kind of be, this might be because I grew up in the South and I heard a lot of Jeff Foxworthy jokes. Anyone heard of Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a redneck if, right? And then there was always an answer. Um, That's kind of how these points are set up. We need to hear Jesus say no when. Y'all ready? We need to hear Jesus say no when we're more concerned with our mission than his mission. We need to hear Jesus say no. The people in the passage here, they started out great. 
They started out excited about what Jesus had done in their life, and they went and they got their friends. And they said, I know, I know people who need this. I know people who need to meet Jesus. I know people who need to be healed. Let's bring them. That's good. <laughs> Let's be clear. That's good. But then by the end of the passage, they're trying to keep Jesus from his purpose. They're trying to keep him from going out and ministering to the other people who also need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God and who also need to be healed. Jesus, we know you have a mission, but we think your mission should look like this and it should fit in our box in Capernaum. It would be so much better if you just stay here, Jesus. What it looks like when we're more concerned with our mission than his mission is when we're trying to fit Jesus into our life or we're trying to help him, uh, to get him to help us build our little kingdom instead of us being part of his big kingdom. Does that make sense? And it's easy to do that. Easy for Christians to do that. How many know we, we each have, I would say we each have our own little kingdom. We each have a, a sphere of influence we each have an idea for how our life should go, right? We think about our family. We think about our relationships. We think about our career, the things we want to achieve. If we want to retire, when we want to retire, how we want that to look. We have our own little kingdom set up in our minds. I do. I'm going to be honest. I have the way I think it should go. And if we're not careful, church, we can, we can get stuck in a horrible trap of trying to get God to bless our kingdom instead of committing to doing the things that God has committed to blessing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where to go next. <laughs> a couple options. Um, one of them is my own life. I would say several years ago, I was um, um, kind of a few years into being in ministry, and my story was that I had other plans for my life. I, had, I knew what my career was going to be, and I knew a general uh, amount of what income I was planning on receiving, which you never know what's going to happen with that, but I had these plans, and then God called me to ministry. And I was excited about it because God was calling me. But I think somewhere internally, there was a bargain in my soul that I wasn't aware of, where I thought, well, well, God, I gave up this, so surely you'll bless this in the way I think you will, right? Now, that's silent and under there, underneath. It's not anything that is like showing up in the way I talk or anything, but somehow that's an expectation in my heart and a few years into ministry, and it's not going the way I thought and it doesn't feel like God's blessing it. And, the, and the, the thing I expected to be in the bank account was not in the bank account. And the thing I expected to be happening in, in the ministry was not happening. And what was happening in my heart is I was starting to get discouraged and despair and burn out. And I remember I had a meal with a mentor. And he sat down. And I you know, was bearing my heart. And he shared with me. Thank God he shared something with me. And I'm going to just share it the way I remember it because that's how God impressed it on my heart. But... It was this, Kenny, Jesus loves you too much to allow himself to just be a means to an end. Jesus is the means and the end. He is the goal. 
He's the reason you do anything, whether it's ministry or whether it's walking with Jesus. He's the reason. Don't fall into the trap of trying to use Jesus to get what you really want. That's when we need to hear, when we need to hear Jesus say no, is if we're more concerned with our little kingdom and our little mission than his great mission that he's called us into. That's the problem I have with the prosperity gospel, church. Years ago, I was uh, invited, Vince and I both were invited we, to a, a big-name preacher. If I said his name, you would all know who it was. And Vince had met him somehow downtown and worked his Vince magic. And I just, just said hi or whatever. And, we, all this, and then he, he sends his assistant back to Vince and gives tickets to come to his event that night. And so we go to the event and, uh, you know, just went with, actually, you called me up and said, do you want to go to this event? And I said, no. <laughs> and they were like, no, we'll just go and listen and find out what's going on. And we, we went and we listened and we sat there. And um, the reason I don't want to tear a person down is because if someone's preaching Christ, even if it's from false motives, Paul says, I rejoice. Right? So I'm not going to tear someone down. But I heard some things that, I heard some things and principles that I'll tear down all day. But one of the things I heard in that message was God doesn't just want you to own the best house in the block. God wants you to own every house in the block so that people in your life look at you and say, I want to serve the God that they're serving. And I put my head down <laughs> and I thought, we are worshiping a God who suffered and died on the cross. And we're going to get up and put this as what's going to save you and what you're looking for. And we're even going to say, look, if you obey the right way, God will give you what you really want. That's not it, church. That's not the gospel, and that's not good news. That's not good news. And so if we get stuck in this system of trying to use God to give us what we really want, we've, we've got the wrong premise because God is what you really want, whether you know it or not. Don't look past him. Don't look past his kingdom. His kingdom is better than your kingdom. It will last beyond your kingdom. I know this is a threat for every single one of us who claim to follow Jesus and those who don't claim to follow Jesus. And the reason I know it is because Jesus put it in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray that, I pray your kingdom, not my kingdom. Your kingdom. Amen? And when we're more concerned with our mission than his mission, we need to hear Jesus say no. We also need to hear Jesus say no when. Now I just feel like Jeff Foxworthy. Um, when we're too comfortable and complacent to be challenged or changed, we need to hear Jesus say no. When we're too comfortable and complacent to be challenged and changed, we need to hear Jesus say no. Again, the crowds at Capernaum started out right. They're excited about what Jesus could do. They're bringing their neighbors and their friends to experience Jesus in their lives, but they end up trying to keep Jesus from leaving to minister in other places. And church, listen, we've got to be careful. In our own walk with Jesus, doesn't fall into the same trap. In the beginning, we're excited and we're passionate and we're sharing with our friends. And then in the end, we're wanting to stay in our comfort zones and keep Jesus to ourselves. And 
I'm good. I'm good with the people who are in my GCM right now. This is great. I'm good with the people who are in my DNA, and we'll be good for the next 15 years, and this is great. I'm good, in my, I'm good with the people who are in this church right now, and if we never grow bigger, that'll be great. It's easy to get comfortable in our holy huddles. Anyone, just be honest with me. It's all right. I'm not preaching down at you. I'm preaching at myself too, all right? It's easy to just stick with what we're comfortable with. And it's easy for us to try to beg Jesus to stick with what we're comfortable with. Hey, we're good here in Capernaum. Jesus, stay. Stay, man. I'm telling you, it's nothing like Nazareth. We'll get you a good place. Right. You'll be be great, man. But Jesus says no. I've had this uh, conversation before in this church. Even a few weeks ago, I heard someone kind of talking about, you know, Uh, A friend of theirs was interested in this church and was saying, like, well, I really like that because I want a small church where everyone knows everyone, and that's what I'm looking for. And I get that. We want to be known and loved, and we should be living in community, and we should be living in a way where other people know us and we know other people so that we can pray for and encourage and lift people up. And I also get that sometimes in a megachurch culture, you can get lost in the crowd, and you can just show up and go to service and leave, and no one knows you. Maybe there's greeters, but they don't know you. No one would know if you disappeared or, I get that. We don't want that. But, but it's also true that God has not designed the size of each church to match your comfort level or my comfort level. It's also true that healthy things grow in healthy ways. If you don't desire your church to grow, then can I suggest that you might be having the attitude of the people in Capernaum? We're comfortable. We're good. We live in a city that at one time was on the top 10 list of least church cities in the United States. We live in the eighth largest city in the United States. And are we going to say, we just want a church where everyone knows it? When our neighbors and friends and co-workers don't know Jesus, aren't connected to a faith community. Jesus is on the move. Will we move with him? Jesus is on the move. Will we follow him? When we're too comfortable or complacent to be challenged or changed, we need to hear Jesus say no. Amen? Another time we need to hear Jesus say no is when we love our ideas of Jesus more than Jesus himself. When we love the way we think about Jesus more than the way the Bible tells us about Jesus. Got quiet now. Thanks, Brother Derek. Part of the hurt I think the crowd must have felt is if they were offended by the fact that Jesus was going to leave. I don't, I don't think he's just like, you guys are annoying me. You're too clingy. He's not, it's not, that's not Jesus, right? That's not it. He knows he's got a mission. He said why he's moving on. The other towns also preaching the kingdom of God. But I think part of the reason 
for the hurt that they probably experienced was this. It has to do with their expectations of Jesus. He was going, they expected him to do something that he didn't do. Or they didn't expect him to do what he was doing. And because their expectations or what they thought Jesus was, what they thought he was going to do for them didn't happen. They didn't expect him to leave. And also put yourself in their shoes. There's no way at that point that they could fully imagine or know what God's mission would be. There's no way their their minds could understand what Jesus was actually going to do and where he was going to go and that he was ultimately going to go to the cross. They had no idea. But they're trying to fit Jesus into their expectations of how they envisioned him instead of receive him for who he truly is. And can I remind you today that we are at risk of doing that too. We in the church, we Christians are at risk of doing that, of falling more in love with our ideas about who Jesus is or how we see him than what he actually is or how the word of God describes him. Mm. (laughs) Pardon me a second. There was a ridiculous movie that I don't endorse, but came out 15 or 16 years ago, uh, like Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. There's a scene in that movie where they pray, and Will Ferrell's character wants to pray to sweet little infant Jesus. Sweet little eight-pound, six-ounce baby infant Jesus. In a manger, and that's they're praying over a meal, and he keeps just bringing up that Jesus is a baby, and his wife interrupts him and says, "Hun, he grew up. <laughs> kind of weird that you're just praying to a baby." And then he says something. He's like, "Well, I like the Christmas baby Jesus the best. When it's your time to say grace, you can say grace to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus." And the other character interrupts and says, "Well, I like to imagine my Jesus in a tuxedo shirt because it says." I'm formal, but I'm also here to party, and I like to party. So that's how I like. And it's so, it's, like I said, I don't endorse the movie. But there is a wild truth in that scene. That we all have our own pet versions of Jesus. That we like to imagine him as, and we like to prefer him as. But there is a real Jesus that's bigger than any one of us can comprehend on our own, and God has given us the word so that we can understand him to the best of our ability. We can't just worship or pray to the Jesus that is how we think of most. We want Jesus to be like we envision him instead of asking the spirit to show us and the word to guide us into who Jesus really is. And the problem with that is we all have our own hobby horses that we end up projecting onto Jesus. Jesus would definitely be more political. No, Jesus would definitely stay out of politics. No, Jesus would definitely be Democrat. Definitely. And if you vote any other way, you don't follow Jesus. Oh, no, Jesus would definitely be Republican. And if you vote the other way, you can't follow Jesus. The problem is, if you're convinced that Jesus would only vote the way you vote, and that if anyone believes differently, they can't be following Jesus, 
you might be more in love with your ideas of Jesus than with the actual Jesus himself. As a younger, less experienced, and probably less kind preacher said, I'm talking about myself, uh, a few years ago I said this, and it might be harsh, but just temper it with me, smiling as I say it. If the God you worship never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Does God ever disagree with you or not? Jesus is not a white middle-class Republican. Neither is he a hip, progressive, city-dwelling Democrat. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And you cannot fit him into your preferred political party or your ideology or your hobby horses and then blame him on Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. Not tell him who he is. And this goes for me too. We do it. We do it personally. We, we do that personally, but we do it with the church too. We do it church-wide. We say, you know what? This, what this church needs is we just really, we just need to care for the needs of people, but we don't need to preach about that sin stuff. We don't need to talk. We don't need doctrine. We just need to care. We just need care. And then people on the other side, we just need good teaching. There's always going to be needs. We just need good teaching. We need good doctrine. You need to preach it. Or no, maybe we just need spiritual power. That's what we really need because there is wickedness and evil forces. We need spiritual power and not worry if the doctrine's a little bit loosey-goosey and weird. But in the kingdom that Jesus came to preach, he had all three of those. In this passage, he had all three of those. He's casting out demons, supernatural, spiritual. He's healing physical bodies, caring for needs, and he's preaching and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, ministering to our minds because the truth is what's going to make you free. We need all of that. That's why Jesus brought all of that. And that's when they tried to get him. It's like, no, just do what we're comfortable with. Do what we like already. No, I'm on a mission I've got to go to the other towns also. The kingdom of God has got to be preached. We need to hear Jesus say no if we love our ideas of him more than Jesus himself. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. I want to close with focusing on why it's good news when Jesus says no, because if I don't do that, all you've heard is like a, a red-faced, red-headed preacher say no, 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 no. And if you're new to our church, that's not what we're known for. We're not just known as a no, no, no church. Um, please believe me. Oh, goodness. But why is it good news when Jesus says no? And, and, and this part will be more brief. But first, it's good news when Jesus says no because of this. Jesus knows what we really need. He knows what we really need. There's this fascinating passage in John chapter 2, um, verses 23 through uh, 25. And it was a time when Jesus was in uh, Jerusalem for the Passover. Pardon me. He was performing signs and miracles and teaching. And uh, it says in verse 23, now he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. Many saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So people saw what he did and they believed in him. Verse 24 says this, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. 
Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And the reason that's good news is because he knows what we need better than we know what we need. That's the problem if you get stuck in the prosperity gospel is you assume you know what you need. And then you just try to behave right to get God to give you what you think you need. When the whole time you need God. You need God. You need more of God. He knows what we need better than what we know what we need. We all have our own little mission, our little kingdom, and the problem with those is that what we do, what we end up doing, even with our best intentions, is we end up trying to serve ourselves and trying to bend the will of other people to serve our desires and what we want. But when Jesus says no for a greater mission, it was not to serve himself. It was to serve you. It was to serve us. It was to serve the whole world. That's an, another reason why it's good news when Jesus says no, because Jesus' mission was ultimately for you, not himself. Everyone in Jesus' day thought they knew what the Messiah is going to do. The Son of God, he's going to come. He's going to come in. He's going to take over. He's going to crush Rome. He's gonna, we're going to be on top again. That's what the Messiah is going to do. And I think this Jesus guy's the Messiah. And you know what? We should get him to stay in Capernaum. We'll build a successful ministry. But Jesus knows that the Son of God has a different mission. That in order to defeat sin in our lives, he will have to suffer the death on the cross. Suffer defeat of death on the cross. Here's the thing we, we miss when we're trying to be comfortable with Jesus. If he stays in Capernaum, there would be no cross. He had just preached about, I'm here to set the captives free. I'm here to bring healing. I'm here to forgive sins. But in order to set the captives free, he had to let himself get arrested. In order to bring healing to our souls, his body had to be broken on the cross. In order for our sins to be forgiven, he had to become sin on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5. Knowing his why, that he had to go to the cross, gave him his why not. Why he could say, I'm not going to stay here where it's comfortable and people like me and accept me. I know I'm going to the cross as part of this mission. I love this passage from Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 50, verses 6 and 7. Looking ahead and prophesying about Jesus. Spoken from the words, from the mindset, uh, perspective of Jesus. I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be put to shame. Jesus. This picture in Capernaum is a picture of Jesus setting his face like flint. Flint is a hard sedimentary rock that when you hit Sparks come off of it, and setting your face like flint implies that you're expecting to incur some opposition. But to stand strong in the face of adversity, to set your face, face like flint, pardon me, means to regard these difficulties as worthwhile when you consider what they will lead to. 
Can I remind you today, when Jesus pushes you past your comfort zone and says, no, follow me, I'm not following you, it's because he has set his face like flint on your behalf to take on your death and my death, the sin that we deserve because of our sin. When Jesus says no to you, it's good. It's for your good. If he didn't stick to his mission and accomplish his mission, we wouldn't have a mission. And that's the last point. It's good news when Jesus says no because Jesus has a better mission for you that is beyond yourself, that he is calling you into. At the end of John's gospel, John 20, Jesus says with his disciples, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Jesus has a better mission for you than you have for him. If he stays in Capernaum, it might be comfortable, it might be nice, there might be tons of people that come, but the kingdom doesn't get announced to the other towns. If he stays in Capernaum, then he doesn't go to the cross. And without the cross, there's no gospel. There's no healing. There's no deliverance for you and I. There's no message of love for the whole world to go out and share with our whole lives in everyday life, just like Jesus did. He says, I must go to the other towns also. We need an other towns also mission. We need to buy into an other towns also mission in our hearts. A mission that Jesus has for us breaks us beyond our hobby horses and our preferred visions of Jesus. It takes us beyond our comfort zone and our comfortable holy huddles. And it breaks us beyond trying to fit God into our life. And then instead to seeing our life fit into God's story. God's purposes for the world. Sometimes we need to hear Jesus say no, but I promise you, if you ever do, it will always only ever be for your ultimate good. Amen? I want to read a quote, and then we'll close in prayer. quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers in the 1800s. says this, O you redeemed ones, on whose behalf this strong resolve was made. Talking about the resolve of Jesus. You who have been bought by the precious blood of the steadfast, resolute Redeemer, come and think a while of him, that your hearts may burn within you and that your faces may be set like flints to live and die for him who lived and died for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to gather today to worship you together, Lord. It is all about you, Lord, and we are here because our, our lives have been gripped by your love for us, by your forgiveness of us, and by your grace extended to us. What freedom you've given us in Christ, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that in your word today, we would hear a message that shakes us and breaks us away from the things we might be comfortable with or maybe haven't thought about in a while or maybe ways that, that you've made us aware of, of us trying to fit you into our mission instead of seeing ourselves fit into your mission. But God, your mission is so much better. It's so much better, not only for us, but for the whole world, God. And we thank you for 
setting your face like flint toward the cross and for enduring the cross and scorning its shame for the joy that was set before you. God, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you submitted to the Father's will, that you became the once for all sacrifice for us. If you're here today under the sound of my voice and there's faith rising in your heart and you have never reached out to Jesus in faith, you can today. What it means is saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to him being your champion, saying no to your sin and living your own way and living for yourself, turning from sin, turning to God and saying, Jesus, I want to be saved. I believe that you died and were buried and rose again for me. I want to be saved. I want to begin a relationship with you. If that's you here today, don't delay. Don't wait. Do it today. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's not me. That's not your own voice. That's the Holy Spirit letting faith arise in your heart. And Jesus is calling you into a bigger mission for yourself than you could ever imagine for yourself. And if you step out, if you take that step forward, I promise you your life will never be the same again. And it will have ripple effects into eternity. If you're here today and you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember, I pray that this word speaks to you. I pray that the Holy Spirit awakens and enlivens the areas of your heart that need to be. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. God, I pray over the next few minutes as we respond that, that you would do the work that only you can do. We trust in you and we look to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.